So these two ladies were talking one day, and one of them said to the other, you know, when I married my husband 10 years ago, I knew that he was Mr. Right. I just didn't know that his first name was Always. <laughs> Have you ever known somebody like that? Somebody who just always right, at least in their own mind? I mean, you know the kind of people I'm talking about. Just know-it-all kind of people. It's like Sheldon on the Big Bang Theory. It's like Cliff Clavin on Cheers. You remember Cliff? He always had an explanation for everything. Then there was that kid on the, on the Polar Express, you know, at Christmas time, who, who just babbled on and on with all of his knowledge. I mean, maybe for you, it's that guy at work who just always thinks that his way is the best way. Maybe it's that woman who lives next door who loves to point out how you should have painted your shutters this color instead of that color, or you should have planted out in the backyard these plants instead of the ones that you planted. Always have the right answer. Maybe it's somebody at your school, or it's somebody on your ball team. Maybe it's the guy that your best friend is dating. Maybe it's somebody at your house. You might be sitting next to them right now. Do not raise your hand, okay? But you know the kind of people I'm talking about. Nobody likes a know-it-all. Now, in your defense, maybe you just happen to be one of those naturally smart people who always tends to know the right answer, or you have the best ideas, or you think more quickly than the rest of us. Man, if that's you, we are thankful for people like you. We're glad to have you around, especially if there's a trivia game going on nearby. And we celebrate your God-given intellect. We hate you just a little bit, okay, in Christian love. But the reality is, you know what? It's great that you're smart. But I am not convinced that being smart is the most important thing. I am not convinced that a high IQ is the greatest key to success. My question for you is not, do you know the right answer? What I want to know is, do you have a teachable spirit? Are you a lifelong learner? Do you look for ways to to stretch your mind and to challenge your thinking? Ways to, to really explore and grow? Or are you one of those people who kind of put your brain on the shelf as soon as you graduated high school or as soon as you finished college or after you got married or after you retired? When I was about 22 years old, I was preaching at a little church over in western Kentucky. And we were having a Bible study one Wednesday night, and you know, the the, the few who gather on Wednesdays for this study, and I read to them 1 Timothy 2.15 from the New International Version of the Bible. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, the old King James Version of the Bible translates that verse, study to shew thyself or show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed. And I explained that night in my class that the Greek word that the New Testament was originally written in, the word doesn't mean study like you would study out of a book, but that it literally means to do your best or to to, to really focus uh, hard on something. And there was an elderly man at the church that night, Richard Bowles. He was a good man, a godly man. And Richard was a big fan of the King James Version of the Bible. And he called me out. He said, that verse says to study. That's what it says. That's what it means. Who are you to tell people they don't need to study? I said, I'm not trying to tell people they don't need to study. I'm just trying to explain what this verse is talking about. Man, he was having none of it. Right? I mean, he was, he was upset with me. I was tampering with the Word of God. I was changing the meaning of the Bible. And I went home. I was, I was discouraged. You know, I'm mean, here. I am 22 years old. I'm not out to offend anybody. I was just trying to, 
dig into what the scripture was talking about. Well, about an hour after we got home that night, the phone rang. And I answered the phone, it was Richard Bowles. He said, I came home and I did some investigating. I looked up those verses in my commentaries. Commentaries are books written to kind of help you understand the Bible better. He said, I did some, some reading and I found out you were right. That that word means to do your best. It doesn't really mean to study like you study out of a book. He said, I'm sorry. You know what that is? It's a man of integrity. It's a man who, who had firm convictions and was willing to state them. But he was also willing to go home and do some investigation to do some study on his own, and then he had the guts to call me up and apologize. And the point of the story is not that I was right and he was wrong. I very, very easily could have been the wrong one. The point is he was willing to learn. I learned that night that Richard Bowles was a lifelong learner, and he was willing to learn some more. And you know what, as he and I talked together that night on the phone, what we kind of came to together was that 2 Timothy 2.15 may not be saying study like you study out of a book, but all throughout 2 Timothy, it talks about the importance of learning more and growing more and deepening in what you understand and seeking the truth. And we talked about some verses together. We said, you know, in 2 Timothy, where it says to do your best to present yourself to God as one who is approved, it also says you need to correctly handle the word of truth, and that takes study. Back in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, he says that we're to hold on to the truth that we've learned because it is the pattern for sound teaching. In chapter 2, Paul said that what we learn, we entrust to reliable people who can then pass it on to other people. Again, the importance of study. In chapter 3, it says that some people are always learning, but they're never able to acknowledge the truth. In other words, they're filling up their brains with information, but it's not playing out in their lives at all. And then in chapter 4, Paul says that we're to teach God's Word with great patience and careful instruction because the time is coming when people won't believe in the truth anymore. And we're seeing that today, of course. So all of this is just pointing out the idea that we've got to keep learning that we need to have our minds willing to expand. You know, let me give you a bottom line today, and then we're going to spend some time trying to understand it and, and learn some things about learning. Now, my bottom line is a little bit of a tongue twister, okay? But here it is. Lifelong learners leave a lasting legacy. Lifelong learners leave a lasting legacy. Try saying that three times real fast. Lifelong learners leave a lasting legacy. If you want to make the most of your life, you need to keep on learning. If we want to influence the next generation, then we need to focus on, on lessons that God is teaching us so we can pass them on. If we want to impact tomorrow, then we need to keep our minds active today. Lifelong learners leave a lasting legacy. Now let me tell you where, where today's sermon kind of comes from biblically, besides of the verses we've already read. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, it says this. You must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people for every good work. So Paul says, look, remain faithful to what you've been taught. Gain wisdom from the Bible. 
He said, realize that Scripture was given to correct us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. And so I spent a lot of time kind of mulling over this whole thing about the things that we learn. And I was thinking about my past, things that I've remembered, things that I've forgotten, and that's a lot. I've been thinking about some lessons that are very memorable to me, other things that went in one ear and out the other, and and were just gone right away. And I decided that there are three types of lessons that really tend to stay with us. Now, I'm sure there's many more, but three things kind of jumped out at me as things that really help us learn and grow. And so I'm going to talk about each of those, and as I do, I want to give you some examples from my past just to kind of reinforce the type of lesson I'm talking about. It's not so you'll think, wow, Mark's got a really sharp mind. That's not the point. Any one of us could get up and give examples of these kinds of things. These are just things that, for whatever reason, have stuck in my brain, and maybe you'll understand how God wants to teach us today. Because, listen, lifelong learners leave a lasting legacy. So if that's true, where do we learn? I believe the first way that we learn, and maybe one of the most profound places that we learn, is that we remember the lessons that we learned early. Lessons that are learned early. When you're young, man, your brain is like a sponge, right? It just gobbles up information. A few years ago, I was digging through a box, and I came across this combination lock. This is the first combination lock I ever owned. I got it back in elementary school. The teenagers are thinking, would that have been the Bronze Age or the Iron Age? It's not quite that bad, but it's about 45 years old. Okay, this is an old lock. I took it out of the box. I opened it right up. It's the craziest thing. I have had combination locks. I don't know how many combination locks. I had a different combination on every locker that I had from 7th grade to 12th grade. I could not tell you a single combination except that one. I didn't tell it to you because I'm going to keep the lock. I don't trust you. I'm just kidding. But, but, the, but the reality is, look, look, look. It's because it's the first one I ever learned, and I learned it early. And lessons that we learn early, we remember. When I was in middle school, we had to memorize lines from Shakespeare. And I remember kind of looking at my, my teacher, and I might have even gone down on a knee because I was just goofy. And, and I said, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon, who is already sick and pale with grief. That thou, her maid, art far more fair than she. Be not her maid, since she is envious. Her vestal livery is but sick and green, and none but fools do wear it. Cast it off. It is my lady. Oh, it is my love. Oh, that she knew she were. She speaks. And it goes on a little bit longer. Anyway, I think she kind of liked it, which was creepy, but, but I, I, I quoted that to her. I remember that because I learned it young. I learned it early, and you put things in there when you're young, and you just remember. How many of you are Gilligan's Island fans? May I, may I see your hands? Okay, I was a big Gilligan's Island fan. Okay, I love Gilligan's Island. I remember one of the episodes where there were headhunters on the island, and they had captured the professor and the skipper and Mr. and Mrs. Howell and Ginger and Marianne. I was a Marianne fan. Guys, are you with me? Okay, anyway, so, so they, had, they had captured all of them. Gilligan's the only one who's loose. Well, for some odd reason, you know, they, the, the, the headhunters think that Gilligan is a god. And so the professor is, is telling him, you know, from the cage where they're being kept, how to speak in headhunter whatever language, and and how to say, release the prisoners. So he told him how to say it. Well, Gilligan kept forgetting the words. I remember them. 
Pulusi Bagumba. I don't know why I remember that. It's the stupidest thing in the world. But I remember Pulusi Bagumba because I was a big fan of that show when I was a little kid, and I learned it when I was young. And some of you have dumb things like that that you remember too. When I was in elementary school, my brother got this big stereo. We used to play it so loud when my parents left, you know, the neighbors probably hated us. But we would blast this thing out. I can still tell you that the receiver of his stereo was a Pioneer SX750. The, the turntable, some of you don't even know what a turntable is, okay? A turn, the turntable was a Pioneer PL530. Why do I know that? I don't know, except that I had this young mind that was pliable and remembered stuff. When we moved here, it took me like three months to memorize the church's phone number. I mean, it was embarrassing, you know? I'm like for the first year, I would have to peek and see what our P.O. box was. I couldn't remember the mailing address every time I, I self-addressed an envelope. I don't have the brain I used to have. I'm just saying these stupid things stand out in my mind. So here's the point. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, what your kids put into their minds early sticks. This is so important. The shows that they watch, the music you let them listen to, the places you take them, the people that you let speak truth into their lives, it matters. It's why we encourage parents to bring kids to church and to get them involved in a youth group. It's why you need to be teaching your kids Bible stories when they're young. You need to teach them to pray, teach them to understand and think about and focus on godly things. There are going to be times when you have to discipline kids and you have to reprimand kids, but never belittle them, never make them doubt their value because those lessons stick. Lessons learned early are powerful. And we in this generation have an opportunity to speak into the next generation, and it's important. Okay, here's the second thing I realized. We remember lessons learned repeatedly or heard repeatedly. On my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and the, and the country, to obey the scout laws, to help other people at all times, to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. Okay? I remember that because we said it every week in Boy Scouts. And some of you said that every week, too. Now, I was young when I learned that, but it was the repetition that really seared it into my mind. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. <laughs> what goes on a Big Mac? I did not set out to memorize that, but it was on every commercial for a while. They would have competitions on the radio to see how fast you could say it. And it just stuck because of the repetition. The Pledge of Allegiance, the Pledge to the Christian Flag, the Pledge to the Bible. That stuff just gets in there because of reinforcing it with repetition. When I was in college, I heard a guy quote a whole book of the Bible as a sermon. And I was so moved by that that I memorized the book of 2 Timothy. I just memorized it a verse at a time. I did it several times as a sermon. A couple of times I did it in costume as if I was Paul penning it for the first time. I don't think I could do the whole thing today, but there are large portions of that that are still up there. Also, when I was in college, I took a, a course on the book of 1 Peter, and I needed an extra hour of credit. So they gave me an extra hour of credit if I memorized the book of 1 Peter. So I memorized it a chapter at a time. I never had to do the whole thing at once. They let me do it a chapter at a time, thankfully. And I don't remember a lot of it because I was college was busy. But I remember important parts of 1 Peter. My favorite part of 1 Peter is praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you're filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And man, I have quoted that at people's bedsides as they're dying, and I've remembered those words for encouragement and for hope and for comfort. I'm telling you, the things that you repeat over and over again and you put in your brain can have a profound impact So what does this mean for us today? Maybe it means that you find a verse that's really meaningful to you and you write it out or you print it out and you put it up on the mirror of your bathroom and every day you just read that verse over and over. Maybe it means you 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 stick it on the dashboard of your car. My wife Gail has like a little key ring um, and she's put all these little cards on it and they have different verses printed on there. And She doesn't read them every night, but regularly she'll get that out at nighttime and she'll read through those verses just to pack them into her mind and into her heart because things that are repeated get remembered and they become profound. You know, maybe it's not just verses of Scripture. Maybe it's just truths that you have to constantly remind yourself of. Things like, You know what? God will give me what I need when I need it. I can't tell you how many times I've wondered, how are we going to have enough money to get by? Or how am I going to find enough time to get all this done? Or where's the energy going to come from? I'm worn out and there's so much still to do. And God just comes through. And so it's reinforcing and reminding yourself of important truths like that. Sometimes the lessons aren't necessarily pleasant lessons. You reap what you sow. That's what the Bible says. What you plant is what you reap. And if you're investing good things, then you're probably going to get some pretty good back. But if you're doing bad things, you're going to face some negative consequences. That's just the way it works. It doesn't always happen immediately, but that's kind of the the law of, of the way things go. Seed, time, and harvest. The golden rule, Jesus said, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And, and the reality is, sometimes, often, when you do that and you treat people right, they treat you right. Back. Not always, but often it works that way, in the same way with negative treatment. Lessons learned repeatedly have a way of staying with us. So we have to decide where we're going to focus our attention. What lessons are we just constantly reinforcing in our own minds? Craig Rochelle said, negative thoughts cannot lead to a positive life. Negative thoughts, if you just keep ruminating over those and packing them into your brain, they cannot lead to a positive life. We need to train our minds to reinforce healthy and holy and positive things because lifelong learners can leave a lasting legacy, but we want to get our brains and our minds around God-honoring things. Now, there's one more category of learning that I think oftentimes can teach us the most, but i got to be honest with you, it's not very fun. It can be profound, but it's not something you go looking for. We remember lessons learned hard. The lessons learned hard. Now, when life is hard, we often have the opportunity to grow the most if we want to take advantage of that. And that's, it just works that way because things that happen and things that come through our brains when things are difficult oftentimes get cemented there. Now, i got a couple examples, not anything profound, but just kind of a reality that I wanted to kind of, kind of give you a picture of. When I was in high school, 
we had to learn the opening lines of Geoffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. They were written in the 1300s. We had to learn them in Middle English. One that abril with the shower zota, the droth of March hath pierced to the rota, and bothered every vein in sweet liqueur, which fair true unjondered is the floor. You want more? Yeah, that's all I got, okay? What, and listen, 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 if you're a teacher, what a colossal waste of time. Seriously, memorize something that matters. I don't even know what those words mean. But you know why I remember them? Because they were so hard to memorize. Seriously, so hard to memorize. I've told you before, Gail and I were in two plays together right before we moved here. So just a couple years ago, we had a blast being in these plays. The first play, um, I was a grandpa, so they kind of did my hair gray, and, and that was my granddaughter. She was so cute on stage. And um, so I had dozens and dozens of lines. It was a pretty good part, and had some songs and things. I remember zero lines. I could not tell you a single line. I could not sing a single song for you. I don't remember any of it. Now, the next play that we were in, uh, you know, again, just a couple years ago now, this, this was from our town. Uh, Gail got the great part in this play. She was the town gossip. She was hilarious. I had two parts. They were kind of dry. I was the undertaker in one scene, and then I was this college professor in a scene, and I had all this information about Grover's Corners, New Hampshire, where we lived. And so I gave all this information out. And remember, it's in the Northeast, so in my best John F. Kennedy accent, I had to talk about Grover's Corners. Grover's Corners. Grover's Corners lies on the old Pleistocene granite of the Appalachian Range. I may say it's some of the oldest land in the world. We're quite proud of that. A shelf of Devonian basalt crosses it with some vestiges of Mesozoic shale and some sandstone outcroppings, though these are much more recent, 200, 300 million years old. Some highly interesting fossils can be found. It goes on. That's the only line I remember. You know why? Because, oh my gosh, it was so hard to memorize. Who cares what Devonian basalt is, right? But I had to work so hard to memorize that. It's the only thing I remember. Listen, listen, listen. Lessons learned hard are the ones you remember. You remember the ones that are hard. Now, who cares if Canterbury Tales is hard to memorize? And I realize that geological formations of New Hampshire don't mean anything to you. They were boring to the audience there. That was the whole point. It killed me being a preacher and having to do boring lines. But listen, listen. There's a lot harder lessons to be learned, right? Maybe, maybe you lose your job. Maybe there was that time in your life when you were abused. You know, maybe, maybe your best friend betrayed you. Maybe your wife lied to you. Maybe your husband walked out on you. Maybe hard times for you means you prayed and nothing happened. Maybe hard times for you meant that your health is a mess and, and you just can't seem to get better. Maybe hard times for you is because somebody that you love with all your heart died. Nobody goes looking for hard times, but everybody goes through hard times. Are you with me? Nobody goes looking for hard times, but everybody goes through hard times. Listen to me. Some of the most profound lessons of life can happen during the hard times. Big lessons, eternal lessons, important lessons. Things like how to trust God even when it feels like he's far away. Things like the power of forgiveness even when they don't deserve to be forgiven. Lessons like putting one foot in front of the other when all you feel like doing is curling up in a ball and giving up hope. Things like knowing to the depths of your soul 
that there is an eternal life in heaven after this life, and this life is just a warm-up for what really matters. There are lessons to be learned when life is hard. Friends, I believe that lifelong learners are the ones who leave a lasting legacy. And so we need to be looking for ways to learn. We learn them early, and maybe we're past that ourselves, but we can help make sure the next generation learns those lessons. Not to preach at them, not to just bombard people with truth, but just to live it out and help them learn it. But those lessons that we repeat, the things that we just keep dwelling on and keep pouring into our hearts are so important. But lessons learned hard. You don't go looking for hard times, but you're going to face some. Be open to what God might be teaching you in the middle of it. You know who did lifelong learning really well? My father-in-law. Dr. Lewis Foster, Gail's dad. Some of you knew him. Some of you studied under him. What an amazing Bible scholar. He got his Ph.D. from Harvard. He also got degrees from Yale, from Indiana University, and from Cincinnati Bible Seminary. He was the dean of the graduate school, the seminary at Cincinnati Christian University for years. He wrote lots of books. He taught all over the world. He helped translate the New International Version of the Bible that many of us read today. He wrote the study notes for Luke and Acts in the NIV Study Bible. I might be the only one here here who has a relative whose name is in the front of the Bible. My my father-in-law is in the Bible. He translated Luke in the New King James Version of the Bible. Not the original King James. That was 1611. He, he was old, but not that old. Brilliant. I mean, one of the most brilliant people I've ever known. So I want you to imagine a 19-year-old kid preaching in a little white frame church in southeastern Ohio and Dr. Lewis Foster sitting in the audience. Not only are you dating his daughter, but he's listening to you preach. And he's taking notes. And it's not because he's critiquing, it's because he's learning. I mean, come on, are you kidding me? What could I teach this guy? But he's taking notes because he's a lifelong learner. Brilliant, brilliant. We would have evenings where we'd play a game or watch a movie, and he'd hang out with us. He was a lot of fun, don't get me wrong. But at some point during the evening, he would slip away, and he'd be over in a corner somewhere with a book because he was still studying, and he was still learning. When he was 83 years old, before he went to heaven, and he and and Betty lived in this assisted living facility, you know what he was doing? He was thinking, and he was studying, and he was still working on a commentary to 2 Corinthians he was writing when he died. Because he was a lifelong learner. He realized that he didn't know it all, and he never acted like a know-it-all. He was a learner. And friends, I'm just challenging you. There are so many ways that God wants to teach us and speak into our lives and pour into our hearts, but we've got to be open to what He wants to teach. Lifelong learners leave a lasting legacy. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word, just the power of it, just the way that You've revealed truth to us and then told us not just to to learn it, but to to, to live it out and, and then to pass it on so that others could know. And God, we have so much access to information today. And we have so, so much access to, to, to truth and, and maybe some things that aren't true, but we have to sort through that and sift through that. And I pray that you'd help us to, to determine truth and then to live it out. Help us to have open minds and open hearts to what you might be teaching. And when we're going through tough times, and we all will, 
Help us not to shut down during those times, but to listen to what you might be showing us through them. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you do for us and for how you lived your life. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.